Hey, welcome back to the Darwinian Times Survival of the Nimblest podcast. I'm Adam Chandler from Ularity. Great pleasure to introduce today Julie Samuels, our Senior Director of Growth, who's going to run today's podcast. She'll be interviewing three awesome owner-operators locally uh, from various backgrounds, from Cycle Bar in Westchester, Pennsylvania, to Surapro in Roswell, Georgia, to Globo Dry Bar in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Uh, she's going to talk to them all about what they're experiencing in this new normal in COVID-19, how they had to adjust to guidelines, how they were able to pick up approach marketing during the pandemic, how they're managing through remote work, and just a little insight into their business. So enjoy and welcome back and let's get this thing started. Let's do this. You know, thanks everyone for joining us. Um, I want to clarify, this is both a live webinar and also a recorded podcast. Um, so you'll be able to share this with your friends, um, your colleagues that could <clears throat> be available on YouTube, Spotify, wherever your favorite podcasts live. So for those that are with us today, we're really happy to have you. Um, and for those watching this recorded, we hope you learned something really interesting. Um, if you don't know what Ularity is, we are a technology system of record for many recognizable multi-location brands, which use our platform to digitize their marketing infrastructure. Um, so today the webinar is 45 minutes. We'll go till around 3.45 Eastern time. Um, we definitely encourage questions, thought starters, whatever you have from the live audience. So please utilize the chat box in Zoom for any questions, which we'll either get to at Q&A at the end, or if appropriate, I will throw them in for the panelists to discuss. Um, so uh, first off, I want to introduce myself. My name is Julie Samuels. I am the Senior Director of Growth for Ularity. Um, prior to joining Ularity earlier this year, I was with Blink Fitness, a franchisor with over 100 total locations based out of New York City. Um, I did franchise development and franchise development marketing, um, and my experience working for a franchisor and with many franchisees definitely helps me as we grow um, our business at Ularity. Um, in past sessions, we've spoken with executives from large companies such as Facebook and Ford. Some of you may have seen those recordings or been there live. However, we thought it would be really, really interesting and helpful to hear from the business owners who have been on the front line these past six months as the global pandemic has completely changed business in our country as we know it. So today I have the pleasure of speaking with three awesome franchisees from diverse industries with um, varying but somewhat similar backgrounds. Um, and so I will give brief introductions and then we're gonna dive into it. So first we have Rob Friend, who became a franchisee of Cycle Bar in Westchester, Pennsylvania in May of 2019. So just in time for coronavirus to get, to get comfortable and then to have it <laughs> ripped apart. Um, previously, Rob had worked in corporate and management consultant, uh, consulting, working with small and large companies and running his own business. Um, next, I'd like to introduce Jay Pitroff, franchisee of Serta Pro Painters of Roswell, Georgia, since March 2017. Jay has nearly 30 years of financial services and payments experience and held positions at several Fortune 500 companies, including JP Morgan Chase and American Express. And last but not least, we have Jeremy Bollington. Jeremy is the franchise owner for both Blow Blow Dry Bar and Waxing the City in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. He's also the area representative for Blow Blow Dry Bar in the Southeast. 
And most recently, he became a franchise broker um, for Your Franchise is Waiting, and he brings with him over 25 years of international business and banking experience. Um, so a little bit of a brief overview on who we have with us today. As you can see, um, we have some home service, some fitness, some beauty. Um, but you know, not everyone who's listening to this live webinar or this recording version um, is a franchise expert. And so one of the things that I wanted to first explain is that a major benefit of franchising is being in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And I can't think of a time where this statement has been more important than today. So Jay, Serta Pro, one of the largest franchise, is the largest franchise uh, residential and commercial painting company in North America. Can you kick off our discussion by telling us a little bit about what it's been like to be a part of that franchise system during you know, this crazy time, how they've supported you and, and how important that was to your business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thanks, Julie. I appreciate that question because uh, it, it's a great one. And it is, like you said, very appropriate for right now. Um, I'm part of a co-op in Atlanta, um, middle of Atlanta. There's 12 franchisees just in the city here. And so we've got easy access to each other uh, to, to get lunch or uh, talk on the phone. You know, it's just so easy. But there are 350 or so franchisees around North America. So, um, you know, we there are town halls. Corporate is very supportive and it has been incredibly helpful just to be able to bounce stuff off each other as we're, to some extent, feeling like we're making it up as we go in a weird year as far as uh, socioeconomic and, you know, buying behaviors and things like that. So. Um, just it has it's been more than ever I, I I didn't devalue it before but I value it much more now the ability to be able to um, to commiserate celebrate success bounce things off of each other and help each other through tough times yeah I can, I can definitely imagine anything anything in particular that you Robert Jeremy experienced with your specific franchise systems that was particularly helpful while you were navigating you know all the changes and regulations yeah, you know, I think from, maybe I'll just jump in. I, I think, you know, as I look at it, and I had the chance to compare and contrast, you know, two systems going through it, but I think the common themes were probably two two main things. One, um, you've got that sort of intangible value of the franchisee community, um, which I, you know, I couldn't imagine what that would be like if you were just running a, you know, a business on, on your own without without that, because you've got you know, like-minded owners that you're able to connect with and, and kind of go through those things. And then obviously you've got the franchisor as well. And I think the main areas that, you know, we spent a lot of time with, with both of those communities on were, were basically the, um, you know, kind of the, the regulatory piece around, you know, PPP, um, the fund, you know, EIDL and other programs like that. Um, and then I think separately, you know, just things like rent, rent relief. Um, you know, kind of input from, from franchisors, but then really kind of talking to individual franchisees, what, what strategies were they using, what was working, what wasn't, um, and trying to mirror some of that, for sure. Awesome. So, so Rob, when we were speaking the other day, one of the things I really enjoyed hearing about was some of the creative ways that Cycle Bar pivoted during the challenging times. You know, you think of it as a, a in-studio experience, but you were able to tell me some anecdotes about how you got out of the studio and and what that did for the community. Um, can you share with the group a little bit about Yeah, that? sure. Um, and not something we had conceived or thought about early on as 
something that would have ever been done, right? We were operating within our four walls, our community's bigger than that, but we have a theater, there are 50 bikes in it. We run classes th through the morning and the evenings and everybody comes and their experience takes place within the theater. Well, nobody could come. And we, <laughs> you know, we, and it happened, you know, much like the discussion across collaboration of the actual ideas that we were thinking about were coming from the franchisee community across the board and then working with our franchisor, but was how can we take what we're doing and apply it in a virtual way? And initially it was, do we put online classes and then people that may happen to have an exercise bike at home may want to do that. Uh, but then from there, we said the, bike, the bikes aren't bolted to the ground. We quickly put together bike rental agreements. Uh, we reached out to our membership base and it was within 24 hours, 50 bikes were gone, right? Literally, <laughs> there were so many more responses than bikes that were available, but we said, we're going to launch online classes. We'll rent out the bikes to everybody to be able to ride. And we arranged either to drop it off or have them pick it up. And there was just this unbelievable long line with huge smiling faces of people being able to come and pick it, pick up their bike. And more than anything, then when we ran the virtual classes was there were so many people that were attending these and it was just incredible. The outpouring of people that were so happy to see our instructors that were happy to be able to, um, Collect, you know, speak to each other across the board, and then our Facebook and Instagram just took off. So it, it was, it certainly wasn't a full recovery from where we were, but it was a means to be able to keep our business going on an ongoing basis, connect with our members going forward, and then even having people from far and wide, just not members, but from other areas asking if they could join into our classes as well. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, and and I remember you also told me about how for some of the for some of the bike rentals you actually went to people's homes to to drop them off and that was so new to to be able to actually, you know, go to their home and different people had different responses, you know, some were opening up the door and letting you in, some were saying leave it out there and and we'll deal with it right. and what a unique experience when you're used to having everyone in the four walls to then to going into their homes. Right. And I actually thought of that when, when Jay and I spoke the other day, because obviously Jay's going into homes all day long, but um, Jay, as you explained to me, it's, it has changed, of course, the way you go into the homes and even the services that you're leaning into and that you're seeing more of. So can you talk a little bit about how that has changed for you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, one of these days, I think I might write a, a short book about uh, the, my observations between May and you know, the end of 2020 because I'm one of the few people that is getting out of the house and going to other people's homes multiple times during the day. Um, uh, and I've seen, and this is on a daily basis, I've seen everything from people just darting out the front door, sticking their hand out to shake mine and almost like wanting to give me a hug because they're so excited to see somebody other than their, their kids and their you know, uh, husband or wife. <laughs> All the way to, you know, somebody wearing a mask on the other side of a storm door, not really wanting to come anywhere near me uh, and everything in between. Um, and so it has been fascinating. Um, you know, when I go in a house, I wear a mask. I think it's respectful. Um, 
I don't know how, I, I don't think the science has proven how much it really helps people. And that's an argument for a different day, but uh, I do it. Um, and sometimes people will tell me to take it off. Other people will tell me they really, really appreciate it. Um, so, you know, what I've learned through all this is that you've really got to be aware of your surroundings and conscientious of um, the people and their different perspectives that you're interacting with more than ever before. There's just got to be a heightened sense of that awareness if you actually want to uh, win, win their business. You know? Yeah. Totally. I, think you're I think you're totally right, Jay. I, I think, you know, we, so we, you know, we were forced to close. We were closed for, for two months um, and then, you know, reopened kind of late May. And, you know, we, I think we probably went over the top on, but I think it was the right thing to do in terms of the, you know, kind of requirements, staff and customers wearing masks at, at both of my businesses, um, taking temperatures when people come in. Um, and I think, you know, the number of comments we've had from, you know, from clients that, that have come back that are just like, it's so obvious you guys are taking this seriously. And I, you know, I don't know what they're seeing at other, other places or other, other, you know, similar kind of, businesses but I, I know it's something you know I look at if we go out to a restaurant you know you're kind of looking at just intuitively are people you know are they taking this seriously because it probably throws flows through how they you know deal with business more generally and, and you know the back of the house that you can't see and things um, and I think it's been a you know we've tried to use that as a differentiator it's caused that you know we've had two or three clients we've had to say I'm sorry we're not we're not serving you if, if you're not willing to wear a mask um, and it's not you know it's obviously been a little difficult but feel like it's the right thing to do. I'll add, I never thought that I would have found myself investigating and then buying an antiseptic hospital fogging system to utilize and cleanse our entire <laughs> studio. But now after the morning shift and the evening shift, we have masks, we have goggles, we have gloves on, there's this whole fogging thing that gets I would eat off the floor. I really would, <laughs> but I just never thought that would appear somewhere in my expense items on my P&L buying a hospital fogging system, but sure enough. So how are you guys approaching the marketing side of it all in terms of, you know, all these different precautions that you're taking? Are you weaving that into the messaging that um, everyone's seen before they get there? Um, what have you seen work? Um, what strategies have, have changed and evolved as, as time has gone on? Was that something you focused on a lot at the beginning, not as much now or vice versa? Kind of open question to all three of you or whoever wants to respond, but as a marketing company ourselves, we're very always curious about um, you know, what you guys see are working and, and the messaging too. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I, I'll, I'll, go ahead. Jay. No, go uh, ahead, Jay. The, so, you know, our, lead, our leads come, come in from a variety of sources, as you can imagine. Uh, we're a painting business, right? So a lot of times people just find us. But um, I do believe we get more phone calls because people see that we're conscientious on the website of some of the things that we're talking about. Um, and then also with respect to when we finally are able to be introduced to a homeowner um, or a, um, you know, a property manager, for example, um, it, on the phone is normally the first time that I'll that I'll talk to somebody and introduce myself. Um, and so, starting with the series, we we've got what's called a certainty pledge, which is a series of questions that really get to the bottom of what's important to uh, our potential customer. Uh, we've incorporated questions along the lines of um, uh, kind of what do you think about what's going on and what types of precautions are you expecting from me in terms of when we interact with each other. 
and when my painters come to, to take care of your home. Um, and, and getting to the bottom of that and understanding and setting um, aligned expectations with each other from a mar it's, you know, and that's all marketing, right? In my opinion, um, it, it's gone a long way in helping us land paint jobs and be successful producing them. Great, Jeremy, you wanna go next? Yeah, I think I, I, I think the only thing I would add on that from a, from, from a marketing perspective, and we were certainly doing you know, the same from, from the outset and continue to, but I think it's, it's, it's been a tough, time from a marketing perspective because I think there's definitely been periods in the I guess what four months or three and a half four months since we reopened um, where it just felt like nobody it almost didn't matter what you put out the you know the response rate or the click through the bookings were really you know wasn't happening and it almost you know I hate to say it on a on a webinar with a marketing company but it was you know there were times when we 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 cut back on, on marketing spend because it just didn't feel like it was it was producing anything um and we'd been running a few pilots with uh on, on a couple of um fronts and and you know dialed those back because it just didn't didn't feel like it was uh, it was translating um and i think that was because of, you know there's just, there's just a lot of noise out there i think you know whether it was you know kind of COVID noise, political noise, you know, other things. And I think kind of trying to break through that with a, you know, with a, with a relatively modest marketing budget um, was, was proving to be challenging. I think it sort of feels like it's evened up a little bit now. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question. How have you kind of seen it change from the thick of it to somewhat of a resemblance of something normal? So I can add, um, we never stopped marketing. We dialed back um, from that standpoint. We were strongly cautioned by our franchisor that you would have a cold start when you started again and it will take time for um, getting back up to speed. So we, we, we brought it back down to a lower level and you know, definitely the messaging has changed and it was always that balance too of that's important to people but especially once we opened, they want to see it's being done, but they don't want to hear about it all the time, right? Like they were looking for an escape, not someplace with like yellow tape everywhere and cones and people in masks and gloves just constantly at them. And how did we strike that balance of normalcy? And I think we, we overwent on the beginning and then slowly dialed some of that back. We still take everybody's temperature. Everybody's required to wear a mask. Everything is six feet spacing when you come inside. But originally we had, you weren't even allowed to touch a locker, right? You were come in the front door, bring your stuff with you, put it on the floor next to your bike and leave through the back door out the back. And every, as soon as they were in, everything was being cleaned. We've been able to enhance our procedures and figure things out that they can use their locker. We can clean when they're in there, come back out and take care of it. But bringing back normalcy. You know, we have a water filtration system that has a button you have to touch and we shut it down because we said, we'll operate it for you, but then they were too close to us or we have to wipe the button every time they do it and move away. So we finally got a foot pedal to be able to do it. That took six weeks, you know, but it was just how people really didn't want to hear about it and they just wanted an escape. And that's what we provide for 45 minutes. So, we, we've definitely ramped up our marketing spend um, significantly. I would say it's 
it ebbs and flows. And I look at the damn dashboard I have, and I still ask my agency on a regular basis, what, yeah, this is up and down and all around, and it's just the way the market is. Um, but I think we're seeing more and more people coming out and more and more people comfortable and certainly more and more people clicking, which is great. Um, and then they ask a hundred questions on the phone before they come in. I think that's such an interesting concept of that, of striking that balance, especially with fitness. Um, just it <clears throat> being that escape, there are certain industries where it's probably so important to continue to stress you know, all the precautions and, and always have that as part of the messaging, but that there are other sectors where you, you don't necessarily want to hear about it all the time and you do want that escape. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Rob. It's not something I have even actually thought about myself. No. And you know, some of the studios, depending on where they were located, actually had plastic barricades around each of the bikes or around the instructor. And they were like in a bubble and people were just freaked out from that. Right. I mean, it's just how do you, yeah. So no, I got it. That's an interesting, um, I'm thinking about how, you know, Rob, you've got folks coming into your place. I've got my guys going into their place. And, <laughs> and, and so I think I probably worry a lot more than a lot of people about making sure that, that my team is, is protected. Yep. So we spend a lot of time talking about safety precautions and wearing masks because we do interior painting um, just as much as we do exteriors. We're back to about 50-50. So, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, we had to get our team comfortable. Some of them are college kids with, if somebody's inside and doesn't have a mask on, that we need to walk over and ask them to put their mask on because it's right. going to freak somebody else out or expose us. And where we saw a lot of congregating, you know, kind of asking people to move along because <laughs> they miss each other and want to congregate. But there was a, a relative police factor to that that we had to play at the same time, which was tough. Okay, are there ever situations, you know, Jeremy mentioned if someone's not wearing a mask or not willing to um, agree that they would potentially refuse service, are there times where you'd ever have uh, your guys go out to a house and for any reason, they couldn't do the service because it wasn't, you know, they weren't following the, the protocol. We haven't had that happen. Um, but we have had situations where, um, uh, you know, we've been painting the outside of a house. I don't require the painters to wear a mask while they're out in the hot sun on a ladder um, for obvious reasons. There's more, probably more health risks to doing that than, than uh, wearing one. But, but, um, we've, we've been approached by a couple people, uh, that have asked us questions about our protocols and things like that. And so, so, you know, for my, for my painters to be able to speak to that, um, and, and talk about how, you know, this, we, we keep six feet, we wash our hands, uh, you know, for, for, um, you know, multiple times during the day and so forth. And being able to rattle those things off that we talk about at every weekly meeting that we have has been really important, I think, for, our, for perception purposes, as well as just for overall safety. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so speaking about teams, uh, Jeremy, you have two different locations, two different teams. Curious, um, how have you changed the way you develop and build the culture and keep your teams motivated and, and all of that with, you know, everything going on and things being more remote than in person than they used to be and, and all the different precautions? How do you continue to keep everyone, you know, rowing in the same direction? Yeah, great. That's a great question. I mean, obviously, you know, since we reopened, it it is in person, so so everybody's 
everything there. I mean, obviously these are, these are physical services being provided, whether it's blow dry or, 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 or waxing. Um, you know, I think going back to, to when we were shut down, um, you know, I think probably everybody in the world felt like they were zoomed out after those, those two, three months. But, you know, we were, we furloughed, we had to furlough everybody, um, which we did on you know, at the time when we closed. Um, spent a lot of time kind of working with, with all of our staff to help them through the benefits process and the, you know, the nightmare that that was, you know, state, I mean, certainly in our state, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a pretty tough process of trying to help help them through that um and then you know we did kind of weekly um you know kind of check-ins happy hours give me an excuse to have more drinks than, than i usually did um so we were doing that and then obviously when when we opened um we didn't you know we we knew volume was going to be down and you know obviously having to manage manage payroll manage cash flow um there were a number of members of the, the teams that didn't want to come back and you know that was kind of probably mutually beneficial um you know we've and since you know as, as business has, has picked up um you know we've, we've obviously we continue to manage payroll cash flow very tightly um i feel like you know ironically we probably have a tighter team now in both businesses than we had um you know most people came back we were able to you know, maybe make a couple of upgrades in, in one of the businesses um and it's you know, I feel like that element of everybody's kind of been through it, you know, um, through this you know, crazy time. Um, and I think from an owner perspective, you know, we just try to keep reinforcing, you know, we're appreciating what everybody's doing. We know it kind of, you know, it's a lot harder. I mean, you know, being in a waxing room all day wearing a mask, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty tough. Um, so I think really kind of that engagement with the with staff, we're trying to focus on, on that um and you know help them get through this process yeah so so i think there will we can all probably agree that there'll definitely be long lasting changes to the way we do business and and simply the way we even live long after this pandemic is under control um i'd love to hear you know maybe rob your perspective of um what long lasting impacts you think might remain for your business um, and, and I'd love to hear from all three of you on, on this one. We can start with Rob. Yeah, it's a really good question, right? Um, one. We won't I, I, I guess how long long-term is, right? Cause yeah. I've at least seen the progression where people were freaked out about just coming at all to getting much more comfortable. And as they saw the protocols we had put in place and what we were doing to keep things clean, getting more comfortable with it. Um, I mean, our room before, bikes were maybe two and a half feet apart, right? Three feet apart and 50 people. And that air conditioning system is circulating like crazy. We have 14 tons of refrigerant and it still gets hot in there. And if you, it in the middle of the summer, sometimes it can get really humid at times, right? So we've removed half the bikes. We've stopped the ceiling fans. And I have to keep my AC at 60 degrees during 90 degree weather. <laughs> so my electric company loves me, but um, it, I think condensing that anytime soon is going to be a challenge, right? Which really mitigates volume of people coming in. And I would love to say we can make up for it with just adding more classes, but people work during the day. So not a lot of people are available to come throughout the day. And some yeah. studios did 
half hour instead of 45 minute classes. So you could fit more in, in a short period of time. But we also used to be able to flip a room in 15 minutes. And there are so many more extensive cleaning procedures now that it takes at least a half hour to do that and get everybody to come through. We have extra staff just for taking temperatures, taking care of towels, cleaning lockers. So I think that's gonna be around for a while. Um, and I think maybe people are gonna be super resilient. You know, something happens with a vaccine, people, you know, ultimately get inoculated. Um, that's gonna be a while, I think. And um, I think masks are gonna be around for quite a while for us still as a result of that. Um, I don't know, it's gonna be hard. I, I think that'll be a definite challenge for, for at least a year. Um, are you guys still um, offering a virtual version or once you brought the bikes back, is it now all in studio? So it's a combination um, because we only had used 50% of our bikes in our theater. So the other 50% were not called back, but slowly people have been bringing them back. Um, whether they just wanted to move on to do something else because they weren't doing it much at home. It was, it was a real testimony for a lot of people that just said, I just can't work out at home. You know, it just, they just said, take it back. I was, hopefully they weren't hanging their dirty laundry on <laughs> their white laundry on it <laughs> to be able to do that. But we have a handful of them that are still rented out, but we do um, send out our content every day for people that want to do that and stay connected. But um, that, that could be a thing going forward. I'm not sure. We'll see. Yeah. Jeremy, what about you? Yeah, I guess, you know, probably wrestling with some of the things to Rob because, you know, totally different business, but obviously capacity is kind of, you know, you're selling, you're selling space, basically. Um, you know, it's interesting with, with my waxing business, it's, that's probably been less of an issue. You know, we have individual rooms, the rooms are, you know, kind of like eight by 10. So the only capacity issue was, was making sure that we didn't have a, you know, a crush at the, at the front desk and you could manage that with, you know, if, if necessary, people waiting outside, um, you know, for, for their appointment. So that business, I think, you know, we're less impacted there. It's more a question of, of people's comfort with, you know, close personal services. Um, and, and I think, you know, probably close to 80, 85% of our regular customers have come back. It feels like there's 15, maybe 20% of people that, that haven't. I think what we're seeing a lot less of a new customer inflow. And I think that's an element of people not wanting to try either something new or a new place that they haven't been to. And they're, they're taking, you know, more persuasion to, to do that. Um, in my other business, it's, you know, capacity is an issue because it's a smaller space. It's open. Um, we have 10 chairs. Uh, you know, right now we've, we've got, you know, kind of, it's basically two rows of five that the sort of the second and the fourth chairs are taped off and we're not using them. Um, and so we were looking today at, at, you know, as we, this is, this should be going into the busier season, um, you know, kind of holiday parties, you get towards holiday parties, wedding season here in, in, in South Carolina. Um, and it's starting, it's definitely starting to seem, you know, busier as I look at the forward books, but it's tough to make that business work with six seats at, at peak time. So, you know, we're looking at, do you put, 
partition, you know, clear partitions between each of the each of the chairs. Yeah, I really don't want to do that, but it, you know, we may have to do it. If we see the demand there, you know, then then we'll do it. Um, but yeah, that. And then I think the last thing I was going to say is just like, yeah, aside from the timing, kind of, of how long does this go on? I think we're, we're clearly going to head into some sort of economic downturn. I mean, there's no way that you know, kind of the economy takes this type of hit without that kind of flowing out of it, um, despite what the stock market seems to be saying, in my opinion. Anything you want to add? Um, no, that was all. Wow. I was mesmerized. That was good stuff. But I, the, uh, the, I think, I, I guess my perspective on it, I, I don't, I see hand sanitizers and elbow bumps being basically not going away anytime soon. Mm. <laughs> I think those are here to stay. I, um, a couple of operational changes we made. One in particular, it, we have the painters come to the office uh, once a month and we do a, we do a, a production meeting. And it's on a Friday morning. Um, and luckily we're in the South and we used to do that, uh, those meetings in a conference room. Um, well, now we have them in the parking lot at the office park. And, and so, you know, we review safety topics and give out awards and it's a, it's a great just 45 minutes of just uh, culture building and all that. But yeah, we take chairs. I've got enough chairs and we've got, I've got 11 crews and an office staff and we get out in the parking lot and it's a big party, but we're all six feet apart. Uh, it's tremendous. There's a bunch of energy, but there are ways around what we're going through uh, in terms of keeping people together and working together and all that stuff. Um, you know, I guess the only other thing I'd say is I don't know that we'll ever not continue being conscientious of what other people feel like is important with regard to safety um, associated with um, germs and uh, the passing of germs and, you know, those types of things. And you know, so uh, if a customer wants us to wear a mask and gloves in their home um, and booties, we're going to do that, uh, whether there's a vaccine or not. So. Makes sense. Um, Jeremy, you, you spoke a little bit about the economy. And I think, you know, it, it's pretty well known that during a recession or, or a crisis, we often see more and more corporate employees kind of looking to ditch working for the man and, and they look to buy themselves a job. Um, and as you've recently moved into this, can you tell us a little bit about this trend and if you're seeing an increase in demand for, for um, new franchise opportunities? Totally. I mean, it, it's, I think if you talk to anybody in the, you know, whether it's franchise sales or um, kind of the consulting world, helping, you know, individuals find the right, the right business. Um, it's, there are a lot of people and I think it's two, you know, I see two, two things. One, um, you know, unfortunately a, a, an increasing number of people that have been laid off. Um, and, you know, kind of, yeah, maybe having the flexibility to not have to, you know, go right back out and, and find something and, and thinking about that alternative. Um, the other interesting one, which, which is you know, probably not surprising, but, you know, everybody that's working at home, you know, still, still employed perhaps in the corporate space. I think, you know, what we've all gone through over the last four or five months is, is probably, you know, pushed a lot of us to reassess what is, what does the next five, 10 years look like? And I, I've just been really surprised by how many conversations I've had with people where they, they're basically saying like, I, I'm not sure I want to get back out on, on the road when I'm forced to get back out on the road. I've kind of actually, I've enjoyed seeing my kids, maybe too much of my kids, but, um, but you know, it's that, I think it's, it's kind of gotten people really thinking about other things beyond that. 
and and yeah it's it's there's a lot of people thinking about that right now yeah any specific i'm guessing you know a lot of interest in kind of the home services in that kind of area but have you seen it across all different industries or are people thinking about you know the pandemic when when looking at opportunities as well i think that i think you know if people look at businesses they're obviously you know kind of very focused on what what does that business look like you know in a in a you know both pandemic and maybe sort of quasi post pandemic kind of world of trying to forecast what that might look like um, and so I, I I think you know people are definitely sort of skewing a little bit towards services businesses but I think you know it's interesting I was just looking at the, there's a question in the Q and A about rent relief and and rent rent deals and and what you know that might look like and I think um, you know, I think there's no doubt in my mind that there will be some, you know, some very good um, real estate deals if somebody's looking at a bricks and mortar type business over the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months. I mean, I personally, wouldn't, we're not seeing much come up right now with my developer hat on for Blow. I've got a franchisee looking for space in, in Raleigh and, you know, we're not seeing much change in the market right now, um, but I think that's going to come. I mean, I think. You know, I think there are people kind of, you know, hanging on to certain businesses. Um, and I think that may change over the next six months. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we're going to get to those Q&As in a minute. We have a couple, but please, um, if anyone out there has some questions, please share them in the Q&A box. But before we do that, before we go through them, just closing remarks. We'd love to hear any silver linings, anything, you know, really creative that's come out of it or, or happy for you personally or professionally, even if it has nothing to do with being a franchisee, mm -hmm. kind of a high moment of the past six months. Um, and we'll just go down the line. I see Rob is thinking. <laughs> I'm crawling out of the low. You can see the bubble there. <laughs> I told you, kept, kept, as I was going through this, thinking about it to get ready for it, I'm like, oh man, that was bringing up some bad memories at times. But yeah, I mean, for me, there were definite silver linings, right? Um, one, I think more time with the family. Um, we did a extended Zoom. We continue to do that every week. So my folks who are 90 years old, right? We, we see them, my sister and brother-in-law who are in DC and my niece and nephew are in uh, Chicago and New York. So everybody got to share what the hell is it like there, you know, and, and what are you seeing and experiencing? But, you know, they had weddings that were planned that had to get postponed and hearing what they were going through. But it, it was great to have that support and that, that dialogue and discussion. And both my daughters are home with us. Um, so I think that was cool. Um, I also spent a ton of time with the door shut in my office <laughs> at home um, to do that and, and balance things out. But I think the other side of it was such a unique period where everything just stopped right? Like the business stopped and it was an opportunity to take a step back and assess everything from, you know, I heard Jeremy mention some of this, thinking about my team um, and performance of the team. And if there were areas where we needed to make a change or an improvement, and then even the opportunity that was out there, looking at the silver lining, unfortunately, of so many people that had lost their job, but that, that there were some really good quality people out there. So that took a, a little while to do, but I made a, a definite change and a significant team member that was there. Um, 
made a lot of changes just looking through everything in my P&L and cost structure and changed my payroll company and my bookkeeper and my property insurance and my liability insurance and got to bid all of that out and reduce costs and retool my structure, which was interesting. Um, and Jeremy and I actually communicated a lot more with each other for a while as we we're scratching our head and looking at what the heck is this PPP thing and what do you think the rules are <laughs> and which way to go and exchanging spreadsheets and articles and reading and looking at the EIDL and it, it was great just to be able to reach out and collaborate and such a different business in so many aspects but so many similarities otherwise so it was great to have yeah. that connection as well. I love it. It's great. Jeremy, what about you? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the, the family piece is kind of interesting. I mean, my wife said at the beginning of the year she wanted to spend more time with our, our kids who are 26 and 23. Well, she didn't really factor in like six months plus <laughs> being with them because they were both living in New York and they're both down here in Charleston since the end of, end of March and, and, you know, working from home. Um, so who knows how much longer that, that will be. But that's, you know, it, it, I think... I think for the first two months, that was fantastic. I think now, you know, we're driving them not they're driving us nuts probably, but, um, but that's, that's been good. And then I think, yeah, I think Rob's point about just, you know, that, that element of, of, you know, kind of, I guess it was sort of really beginning of April through end of April for most of us when, you know, for some areas it was longer, but um, when, when everything kind of stopped and it was just, it was, on the one hand, it was kind of weird. Um, you know, I'd be sitting here in my office and it looks out on the, on the, street in the cul-de-sac and the number of people that were walking around and you know dogs being walked for the 10th time of the day and, and things um but it gave you time to you know to really think about things i mean i i personally i kind of launched the, the friends you know, i was consulting business then i've been thinking about it and i didn't want to kind of like you know feel that i'd gone through a two or three month period of, of not achieving something and that you know so that felt good to get that going um and then just, you know, spending all the time kind of, you know, reading stuff, thinking about things, thinking about direction of things. So, yeah, it's, it's stuff, you, you never get that time. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's like a standstill and moving mm -hmm. fast at the same time. Yeah. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday and it's the, the, the days go by slowly, but the months go by quickly and we look mm -hmm. up and it's almost October and no one knows where these past few months have gone, but we've all been productive in a lot of ways during them. Um, Jay, what about you? Yeah, uh, well, uh, in March and April, so one of the biggest challenges in the painting business is finding good workers. Um, they're few and far between, good, honest, you know, people with uh, high integrity. Um, in my first couple of years in the business, that was my biggest obstacle. Um, and in March and April of this year, a lot of those types of people popped free um, and I was able to help them and they were able to help me. And so when, um, Julie, you asked about the silver lining, that was one thing that came to mind. On a personal note, um, so not to drop a bomb right at the end of this webinar, but my dad has COVID-19, he's, but, he's, but he's recovering. And he's, he's been in ICU for two weeks, but now he's almost off of oxygen. At one point, they were gonna put him on a ventilator and then the plasma kicked in and he survived. He's almost 80, uh, he's my best friend. So something like that will snap your priorities right in line. Um, and, and so, you know, I don't know if that's a silver lining or what, but, you know, I, I think Rob, Jeremy, and I can all relate to, you know, some days you feel like you're just, 
you're like a dog with a bone in your business or your businesses, you know, and this is just life or death. And, you know, it's, um, I'm not going to go home until I work this out and all that. And it's just the, the most important thing in the world. It's not. <laughs> so. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so we're at three 44. Um, we have quite a few questions. We'll, we'll get to a few of them. Maybe we'll run a few minutes, a few minutes over if that works for the panel. Um, and let's, let's answer a couple questions. So one about landlords, I know Jeremy, you kind of started to answer it, but how have landlords reacted to COVID for your business? Have they been supportive, wanting to help defer rent for a period of time, or have they been more competitive to, uh, combative to aid? Um, are you seeing more deals coming up? Um, do you think you capitalize on cheaper rent deals to grow the business or is it not the right time for your business to do this? That, you know, in terms of what we've seen from the landlords, and I, I, I support a number of franchisees in, in, in my area on the, on the blow dry side. Um, I, I'd say it's like all of, right across the board, you know, from landlords just flat out refusing to do anything to, you know, some being pretty accommodated. And I think what, you know, the way most of us probably approached it was if, if, if they weren't willing to, to engage, then the rent check stayed in the pocket. You know, and it's, I think, you know, in my case, I was able to get some relief. Um, you know, I'm, right now I'm considering, you know, whether I go back and, and try again and, and see if, you know, push the envelope a bit and see if there's, if there's more relief to be gotten. It was, you know, they were, they were reasonably accommodating. Um, but, you know, I don't think anybody anticipated, certainly back in April, this running on to such an extent. Um, and then I think on the, um, in, in terms of, you know, I touched on earlier on, just in terms of, I think it's probably five to six months away before we see, you know, real movement across the board in terms of, um, in terms of rental rates. Um, you know, there, there may be deals out there in some markets, but certainly not in the ones that I'm looking at yet of, of any, you know, major shift where they were. Interesting. Um, okay. Any, uh, any great strategies the group deployed to protect their existing customer base? So everyone's trying to invest in their customer and trying to anticipate their likely behaviors in reacting to this craziness. So, well, one, I think just the pivot that we did, right, was to, we're a membership-based business. So one, just keeping in touch with our members. Um, and maintaining touch through the shutdown, but also then the pivot and the offering of services and allowing them to stay active and connected through our community and keeping that going. Um, definitely helped keep money flowing up for us. People kept their memberships active. We said, support your local business, right? We want to be here when you come back. Um, so they were keeping their membership active in exchange for that. And we provided lots of credits for when they come back to be able to utilize for friends and family members, et cetera, at no additional cost um, to be able to engage from that standpoint. So I think how we reached out and touched them was actually bringing our business to them relative to them typically coming to our business. If that makes sense. Um, for, for just I was just going to add one thing. I mean, in terms of, you know, during, certainly during the shutdown and immediate post-opening, you know, we were texting like crazy. You know, we use a texting app in both businesses and just texting from the business number with, with our best customers and just, you know, 
I'm not trying to sell them anything, just, you know, let them know when we might be, when we thought we'd be reopening, trying to get them rebooked in and just rolling those bookings kind of like forward. Um, you know, at the time I was the only employee for, well, not even employee, but you know, kind of owner for the business operating on it. So I was, I, I was texting a whole load of, of our customers on a, you know, it felt like a daily, weekly basis of uh, let's roll your appointments out and, and stuff. But I think that, you know, it, it was funny when, when they started to come back in, it was like, who's this guy, Jeremy? Oh, he's the owner. Yeah, well, we got to know him through text. One <laughs> <laughs> uh, of you mentioned PPP, but how, how much did PPP help your business if you were even able to get it? Okay, I see you nodding your head. Yeah, um, I got it. And I was, uh, my first two years in business, I was trying like tech to get a loan like that from a bank and couldn't get one. So I guess that's another silver lining on the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, uh, what it did was it really, it, it enabled me not to have to let people go, uh, and continue, uh, operating, uh, with a full staff, um, without, um, without worrying about, um, you know, the potential for having to file bankruptcy. That's, that's really what it did for me. So it was, as it turned out, it, it was more of a buffer, um, because Julie, as I described to you before, you know, we're having a pretty good year considering everything. Um, and, I uh, feel very fortunate about that, but having that buffer in the early part in the spring and the early part of summer was, was really good. Um, you know, for purposes of being able to continue to invest in the business and, um, basically just keep us solvent. Cool. Yeah, we, I mean, I applied for it. We got it. It was definitely helpful. It's all gone. Um, <laughs> it needs to be paid back. I, I'm still not clear on all the rules about what's going to be forgiven or not based on what we did and they extended things out and God knows how many calls and exchanges of information Jeremy and I had about what, which direction and what we think and what's it going to be and working with your bank. And, you know, there were a variety of sources that you could go to as well. And it was which one, and I had a good relationship with a local bank, but are they going to know what the heck they're doing versus we talked to another company that said, We've got this streamlined, automated, you just put your stuff in the front end, you'll get it in three days. And I found out people that applied to it never got it or they were they were waiting weeks and months and I got mine within, I don't know, three or four weeks maybe, something like that. But it was a good close relationship, questions answered and coming through, but um, it helped. But it feels like it was a drop in the bucket relative to the duration. Um, and they moved quickly. There were so many open, so many holes and questions and issues in navigating and delays in getting it through the process. Um, I also applied for the EIDL loan um, and got approved for that, which was definitely helpful in using that um, in, in ways to augment us on helping and going forward, which is great. I just think about how many poor businesses that didn't have that assistance at something at a low cost like that, that we're expecting or being able to be helped by. And then it seemed to completely evaporate and disappear from the government, which uh, if they, if they didn't get it and they didn't have capital to burn, I just think there's still going to be a significant shakeout of businesses as a result of it. So more to come, no doubt. Um. 
Someone asked Rob and Jeremy, what additional costs are you seeing to effectuate these new cleaning disinfecting needs at service retail? Yeah, I think on, on my side, it's, 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 you know, combination of, um, you know, we, I was going to say PPP, you know, PP, PPE, um, but that's, that's probably not been a huge part of the cost. I think it's just the cleaning and the sanitation cost. I mean, we were, we were already, you know, highly regulated by, you know, cosmetology boards, but, you know, had to double down on that. Plus everything costs more now, you know, it's, some of that's starting to come back down in terms of pricing, but you know when you have to pay whatever 15, 20 bucks for a bottle of sanitizer, it used to be used to be five bucks. Um, you know that sort of stuff hurts. We're we're literally about to implement a price rise price increase on one of my businesses, and you know we're going to do it under the under the cover of COVID. Um, but we'll see how that that goes down. But um, yeah, I mean there's this you know it's just incremental cost. Um, there was no line item in my entry before for masks and goggles and gloves and sanitizer. And we went to the local distillery and bought, you know, gallons that came out of what was before a vodka tequila factory, right? To get our, our sanitizer that um, we could do because it was just you couldn't find it anywhere, right? Toilet paper and everything else that was a challenge to get a hold of. Um, and then this hospital fogging system that I mentioned that we bought, it's a hundred dollars a gallon for the solution that goes through that. It's like liquid gold. So um, <laughs> I was looking for alternate costs, uh, alternate items that we could put in there, but uh, that certainly was more expensive. And then I think even just, you know, labor, somebody having to stand there and hold the thermometer, we never had to do that before. Right. And, just seeing other costs for keeping things clean and turning over quickly. Um, we run our Saturday classes outdoors. So we take all the bikes from the theater out into the parking lot, the landlord approved it. It's really nice out when it's out, which is great. If it's raining, we have to cancel it, which is a bummer, but um, that's been really cool. But it's, you know, we get there at 6.30 in the morning and everybody's gonna carry 25 bikes out and is bringing on more resources to do that but our customers love it. So, you know, it's, it's how to deal with increased costs relative to before and particularly in places we just never saw before. So, um, haven't found a great way to offset that yet. We really haven't tried. Uh, given the advent of technology tools for communication, productivity, marketing, CRM, et cetera, are you working more remotely given travel is virtually non-existent or are you just working differently? So in the, in the painting business, um, the obviously we're limited in terms of our ability to work remotely and paint somebody's house, <laughs> uh, stating the obvious. But as far as my team is concerned, so I've got an office manager who used to come into the office every day, Monday through Friday, eight to five. Uh, well, she's now working from home two, three days a week and enjoys that flexibility. And I haven't seen a drop off in performance. So we discovered something new there. I think that's probably happening in a lot of different places around the country and the world. Um, and then the app and technology uh, part of this, the we, we have an app for production updates and stuff like that. And it's just become all the more important. Uh, this app, we were, we were pushing the usage of it before COVID. But now uh, we're really serious. And, and when, when painters and my team don't use it to communicate with each other, uh, we call them out. 
So there's an accountability for making sure that we all, we're all on the same page and that those updates flow through what we call the job site app for anything that's going on in, in our production world. Yeah, one thing interesting with technology, so we have an app, everybody's able to open it up. It has our schedule. They can book the classes they want using the app. They can pick the bike in the class that they want to sit in. They get all their statistics from the class and they can track their performance and results and how many rides they've done, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was in place. But we also had, when you came in, there were multiple iPads. You would check in that you were there so we knew you were there and it would confirm for your bike, your information, and then they would grab their shoes and go. And we couldn't have everybody touching the screens and we had to cover them off and actually corporate was able to enhance the app that they can check in on the app instead of having to touch the screen from their own phone. And then our point of sale system where we had our contract agreement had a touch screen that they used to tap on and then sign with their finger in all the places. We couldn't have that without cleaning it. So we enabled it where we could send them a code from our system to their phone, and then they would acknowledge and could sign remotely from that standpoint. So it was you know, just a way of mitigating the touch aspects of COVID from that standpoint. Um, and then I think just the other that my general manager and I, we work remotely and at home, but you know, over the phone and proved out that there were lots of things that you don't need to be, need to be because the middle of the day, we're not running classes typically. It's early morning and later in the evening, you don't need to be there to do everything you need to do. And that, that's also, do you have the right people in place that you can trust that they're gonna do what they need to without having to be as much in the office? So oh. definite change from that, but huge, always big communication with our customers anyway was texting and phone calls and, and emails anyway. All right, guys. Um, I think that's that's it for now. There were a couple other questions, but we're coming right on the four o'clock. We already went a little over. Thank you three so much for your time. It's fun. Thank you. You're welcome, Julie. Good fun. Thank you. Yep. Thank you so much. Um, hopefully, this answered a lot of questions, brought up some good thought starters, and um, told people what it was like from the operator and owner's perspective. Um, and we appreciate you guys very much. Uh, thanks for having us. Thanks for having. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks all for listening for today's podcast, The Darwinian Times Survival of the Nimblest. If you haven't checked out Ularity, check us out. We are the marketing infrastructure for the internet. We power brands to be able to use paid marketing centrally and distributed through one easy to use paid tool. Check us out at eulerity.com, E-U-L-E-R-I-T-Y.com. And tune in for the next episode of the Darwinium Times. Thanks all.